Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, episode number 103. I'm Matt Hot, joined by my Timon to me Pumbaa. We're missing our Simba. It's Michelle Wintering. Oh, Timon and Pumbaa. Look right? at that. And then that makes that makes Michael Simba. Yeah, I, I mean... I, our trio's down to two. Our trio's <laughs> down to two. Oh, so sad. But 103, <laughs> that's fantastic. That is true. 103 episodes. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network, and we couldn't have done it without you. And we want to know about it, or know what you're doing, I should say. Head over to SpeechSciencePodcast.com. And from there, you can always give us a phone call or text 614-681-1798 or email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or keeping everything afloat on the social media side. It's hashtag SSPod on Twitter or hashtag SSPod on the Instagrams mm -hmm. and we will find it. Michelle, guess what I found tonight, by the way? What did you find? TikTok. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Have you ever done TikTok like, or looked through TikTok? I have not used it, but I am aware of TikTok, yes. It is the greatest invention of social media that I have ever found. I wish you and all could I see think I am so in right love. Now. Like, I, I don't even under, like, if you don't know what TikTok is, basically it's a social media app where people create, like, linked or like looped videos of random garbage and people either love it or hate it and i love it and it's the weirdest things like <laughs> matt I, is giddy right now laughing <laughs> i have learned so much about contouring on women's makeup that my brain has exploded <laughs> i have watched videos where people have like turned themselves from like humans and then all of a sudden they're like cartoon characters and then they're like 
it's the weirdest thing. And they're like, contour. And I was like, I don't know. But now I understand what it means. I'm proud of you, Matt. Hey, man, if I'm going to be part of the wonderful three and a half percent of male SLPs, I got to learn what the other 96.2 or 4% of our field has to go through every day. We can do math. (laughs) (laughs) I found one TikTok video where the girl was doing the makeup and she said she had to turn herself to look like a pterodactyl. How did that work out? It made me laugh so hard. And she was like, you got to make your nose look thin like a pterodactyl because guys like pterodactyls. And I was like, oh, my God, it's kind of funny and true. I would love and a pterodactyl. kind of true. Oh, oh, my gosh. Michelle, that's been my week. I watched the Super Bowl as well and got to teach a six-year-old all about football. Ah. How's your week been? Have you found anything <laughs> wonderful like TikTok in your life? Well, um, you know, I was looking for suggestions in case you didn't remember this for making a diaper cake for a baby shower. And Yes, I did forget about that. <laughs> and um, you know what a diaper cake is, right? <laughs> yes, I've had two children. Just, I know what a diaper cake just is. Just double checking. For those of you who don't know, it's when you use for diapers. For the 3.4% of male SLPs When out you there. use diapers and often make them into a shape of a cake because diapers are expensive and you give them to expectant parents. True story. So um, anyways, I made a diaper cake and instead of using, I found this on a suggestion online and I think it's brilliant. Instead of using like a paper towel roll or a tube, as the stabilizer Mm -hmm. in the middle we put a bottle of wine in the middle and wrapped the diapers around it so now when the new parents unwrap the diapers to use them she will no longer be pregnant and they can enjoy this bottle of wine together hey i like that that's a good idea actually there you go and also we're just dealing with the crud like everybody i had an ear infection last week it was an urgent care super painful makes me feel for patients and kids who get them frequently and um Thankfully, that has cleared up other than being a little clogged in the one side. So uh, like a lot of people this winter season, we are fighting the winter crud. Ugh, that's not good. But yeah, here we are. Fair enough. I like it. Oh, today's episode, for those of you that love what we do and we love you, uh, what we're going to do a little bit today, we're going to talk, uh, Michelle has a hot take this week. I'm excited to hear about it. Also, we're going to talk about the Asha Connect Uh, We're going to look at a study linking autism and myelination. And of course, the other study is how does positive influence of a teacher impact a student's perspective? But I do have a shout out this week, Michelle. I found one, unless you've got one as well on the Instagrams. Uh, Well, I mean, the biggest shout out is just to all our commenters because the interview coming up uh, on last episode, right? The yes, interview last week's episode that you all would have heard last week with Carrie Knutson um, and the memes that were shared around that were just ridiculous and absurd and had us all in stitches about crying in your car. So thank you for everybody <laughs> for your hilarious input and commentary on all the social media memes. And I, I think people are coming around to having a good sense of humor about it. Yeah, it take a little bit of time to to let the sting wear off, but I think it's good that she finally got her voice out last week. I uh, also want to give a shout out to the SLP crew over at Expressible. Uh, they reached out. They are listening to the podcast. 
Um, and they are a group of SLPs who created their own teletherapy practice. So shout out to the Expressible Crew uh, for sending us an email. And I will respond back to your email at some point. And uh, maybe we can get them on air to find out why they did that and how they did that. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, any due processes this week? Any uh, complaints from anybody? No complaints on the Instagram page. Yeah, so I got nothing on the Twitter side or the emails. Due process. Oh. Psh. Well, we want you to be part of the show. So if you have an SLP shout out, uh, Michelle, what's the hashtag SS pod shout out? Um, yeah. SLP shout out. SS pod shout out. Hashtag SS pod shout out. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. And then if you want to complain anonymously, you can send us an email or hashtag SS pod due process. This is where you get to air your complaint. And then I guess we could act like the judges in due process and decide, does your complaint have merit or are you in the wrong and you got to make up those therapy minutes <laughs> basically do we agree with you or not <laughs> uh let's start it off with this this is a article on a cnn.com it says teachers who praise see a 30 percent increase in good behavior from their students this seems really basic it's the idea of you know, positive reinforcement or what is that? Po PBL training, positive behavioral learning. Mm, I don't know that term. Oh yeah. So it's the idea that if you, instead of saying stop doing all the things that are wrong, but earn tickets for doing things that are right. And then oh, when you get enough tickets, okay, okay. yeah. If you earn enough tickets, you get a free Frisbee or pencil or something. Yeah. PBIS or something. Right. PBIS, thank you. It's not PBL, it's PBIS, thank yes, you. Yes, we use that at um, the school I worked at in Colorado. Yeah, they had their Bulldog Pride tickets. Yes. Yeah. I think it's the whole idea of catching kids and anyone, really. I feel that way as an employee, like catching people doing good is is so much more reinforcing for, for well, continuing that behavior. It said it was an interesting. It said educators typically suggest a three to one or four to one praise to reprimand ratio as the best. That means for every one reprimand, a teacher should provide three or four positive reinforcements. Yet little research has been done on whether that ratio was truly effective. Mm -hmm. And so this actually is showing some research, right? So to test that, they spent. Uh, yeah, they're starting to do that. Yes. Yeah. So the next part, if you look at the article, says they spent three mm -hmm. years counting teacher praise and reprimands in 151 classrooms in Missouri, Tennessee, and Utah, and they observed, and this is ages 5 to 12, it looks like, so kindergarten through sixth grade, um, half those, they even had controls, I love that, and these were two of the largest studies done on that, so the more praise, the better. Uh -huh. The new study defined praise as a verbal indication of approval after the student behaved properly rather than just acknowledging a correct response and a reprimand was verbal disapproval which could yep and there yeah go ahead i was just saying there was no real quote as they say tipping point so basically you're just reinforcing the behavior so if you are having a student do well and you say great job i love the good stuff you're doing or give a bulldog ticket or high five or ipad break you're going to see more of those positive behaviors um, it said that 
the praise was linear. The more who did it, the more improvement was in student cooperation and attention to tasks was linked to more praise. Here's my... And up to 30% more positive behavior. Yes, my favorite line. You're almost there in the article. Even if teachers praised as much as they reprimanded, students on task behavior reached 60%. If the teachers could increase their praise to reprimand ratio to two to one or higher. So just making it, you praise more than you criticize so not even that how, four to one they yeah even more improvements in the classroom how much praise do you do in your therapy sessions with the little ones a, a, i i like a to lot. think a lot but now i almost want to <laughs> check myself right i'm thinking i don't do a lot of praise like do you remember back in the clinic where we were told that the reinforcement for communication was getting the object that they requested. I think depending the professor, yes. Yeah. So like I kind of have adopted that into my own therapy settings where if we're working on something, yeah, there's like, you know, if we're doing our tick every 10, you get it. We'll take a break and play a round of the game or, you know, if we're playing, sorry, we're going to do a descriptive word before we pull a card. But a lot of times, like if I'm working with kids on just like phrase and language expansion, if we're working on describing a picture or playing a game, that's kind of the language that that's the only praise that I'm really giving them. And now I feel like maybe I should do more. Yeah. I mean, I tend to try to focus and I'll even talk to parents about this of praising the effort. And just mm, like, yeah, good point. just like in an eval, how we were taught, you know, don't tell them good job. You answered that right. Um, stick to, I like that you looked at all the pictures. You're doing a really great job focusing. Thanks for sticking with me through this test. Like you're trying Yeah, the, of giving them positive praise, but it's not complimenting yeah. like intelligence or accuracy. It's not linked to accuracy. Exactly. It's linked to uh, effort. I like exactly. That. So I do that with my son in baseball though. I mean, he hated baseball, but I was like, buddy, I loved how you went out there and you were tired, but you stayed in the outfield and you didn't eat grass. I'm so proud of you for that, bud. Mm -hmm. It's just like the, so. we read it actually. We had a book to read in the student services department when one of my jobs. So the PTs, OTs, speech therapists, all those kind of specialists in the school. And it was, I remember being annoyed to have to read this book, but it actually was one of my favorites. It was about the growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Which yeah. I find the title for you, but um, it definitely kind of challenged my thinking on how do I talk to my students? And now that I have a son, how do I talk, ah. how do I talk to my son? You know, am I telling him you're so smart? You, um, you know, basically are we, are we treating intelligence like a fixed thing or like something they can improve? And that was so like fascinating that. to me because it goes to that praising the effort piece versus just praising the skill. And so they, like they found long-term that, um, for example, girls tend to be praised more for uh, fixed, like you're so smart. And so as soon yeah. as they hit something harder, like harder sciences and maths, as you get to middle and high school, they think, oh, I must not be smart because it didn't come to me quickly. And so Makes instead sense. of praising, we tend to, this is just a generic statement, um, praise boys more for effort. Like you work so hard you really tried at that. And so it was interesting between male and female kind of how um, we tend to word things. So focusing on that, praising the effort because it shows that they can grow their brain, they can grow their intelligence, they can grow their skill. 
I like that. That sounds really cool. We want to hear from you at home. How much are you praising in your therapy settings? Or do you think we are crazy on a hill of beans? Let us know. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And you can email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call or text message 614-681-1798. All right, this next article coming out of NPR. Uh, researchers link autism to a system that insulates brain wiring and a quick neuro background. And then Michelle, let you kind of take the lead on this one. If you forget how the brain develops, we are all just a big googly mass of gunk and wires all crossed around each other and then as the body learns its functions a wonderful process called myelination happens where we get to cover part of the neuron with a fatty cover that allows it not to be electrocuted by the other neurons causing us to eventually be able to do things such as scratch our nose drive a car and host a podcast in the middle of february but michelle what is this article looking at as the link between autism and myelination so I, I feel like this is coming out with more and more information, just more and more research that's being done about autism, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. no, we don't have an answer for the exact sort of thing. But the original <laughs> report for this article was in the journal Nature Neuroscience is what they cited. Mm -hmm. And it seems that both in mouse and human brains affected by autism, there's an abnormality in the cells that produce myelin. So that insulation, right, for the brain circuitry, and that could that's been seen as a difference in um in different neurological diagnoses and since autism is tied to brain function right um it's just fascinating like i want to follow this research more i know this stuff is ongoing but i love that it's coming out with um with topics that we can talk about you know what is because i've heard i i don't know where this is from but this idea of myelination and the pruning process that they've seen some Oh yeah, in, um, pruning in the early developmental ages for kids with autism, and so I'm wondering if there's a connection with that. This is just totally me hypothesizing out loud, but you know, with that myelination, if there's a lack so, of either too much or not enough pruning going on, especially at that critical language learning time, you know, birth to three, birth to maybe up to seven, I wonder if that's all tied together. So here's what the article says. This is actually from the nature.com. This is from the nature, the nature neuroscience PDF. The agreement with human imaging studies and electron microscope microscopy and IHC study of prefrontal axons from the postmortem brains of individuals with idiopathic autism showed that the ASD brain has a larger proportion of thin axons and decreased myelin thickness in certain brain regions. Moreover, single-cell sequencing of the postmortem brains from 15 people with ASD and 16 neurotypical controls showed that ASD brains had more protoplasmic astrocytes than control brains. From our analysis of this data set, we also observed a significant decrease uh, present in these ASD samples compared to the controls. Hmm. Fascinating. And I was curious in case someone else heard the mouse thing with autism. Mm -hmm. I was wondering how in the world do they know if a mouse has autism? Um, and yeah, that that's odd. Uh, actually, I don't know. I when I at least in the article that we're sharing here, they, they were studying uh, brain cells in mice with a gene mutation that causes Pitt Hopkins syndrome, which can 
include oh. features of autism spectrum disorder. So they saw a signature that suggested, the quote is, um, we saw a signature that suggested there might be something wrong with myelination. That was So that was pretty surprising to us. And more experiments confirmed that, quote, there was a clear deficit in the cells that control myelination. Um, this was not this was true not only in the mice with pitt hopkins syndrome but in other mouse models of autism too so they're trying to model uh some of what are are known as markers or features of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. autism spectrum disorder um in in mice because i was like how in the world do they know that <laughs> You know, I mean, this is super interesting. And we talked about it before on air that that we are lucky enough to practice as as licensed SLPs in a time where we may get to see a lot of these disorders and, and deficits be able to be reversed or find the the idea or the, the origin of them. And, and something such as this where. Maybe it is a myelination thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a correlation and it's not a causation. Maybe it just happens to be that these two things are happening at the same time, but it doesn't. one doesn't cause the other. I find this stuff so interesting. And I would, and I love hearing about these scientists that just decide, like not decide, but you know, this is their life's work. There was 13 different authors on this study alone looking at this kind of thing. And, and, the future of our field, you know, if we know that it's a myelination issue, maybe it is more of an executive functioning thought process that goes into the therapy or maybe it's gene therapy. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. And that the last paragraph of this article said too, you know, there are treatments being developed to treat people with multiple sclerosis, for example, which is a disease mm -hmm. that we know erodes myelin. So if there is a myelin connection in some way, you know, potentially there's things that could, um, could be done to, to impact that, you know, treatment wise, we'll see who knows. And then you get into the whole issue of like, do, is this something people want to be cured of? But that's a whole nother thing. I think researching it is so important. Well, and, and I think that brings up another, another thing. I think, you know, look at the, the deaf versus the hard of hearing community. Mm-hmm. You know, are you deaf with a little D or are you deaf with the big D? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. we can, I don't want to say we can fix deafness, but we can give compensatory strategies. We can look at cochlear implants if, if, if it's severe enough. And what was it that we, was it a couple of weeks ago where they can now do one ear or two ear cochlear implants? Um, yeah. Yeah. That you don't have to that be we talked about for bilateral yes. anymore. Yes. Mm -hmm. That, you know you know, you could choose that or your family can choose that for you, but you can also choose as an adult that you're not going to wear the cochlear implants. You're going to be part of the big D deaf community. Mm -hmm. Maybe in a few years, there's the autism community. And then there's the, whatever happens if they can find a way to reverse the, the myelination mm -hmm. issue. Well, I mean, we've, we're already seeing a little bit of that with the, the DSM True. doesn't use Asperger's anymore, but people still identify as Asperger's true Aspies or, you know, like whatever their, their yeah. term is for it. So. Yeah. And, and just so everyone knows at home, if one of us uses a person with autism versus an autistic person there, you know, we respect however you want to identify yourself and 
years of training taught us to say people first language and we recognize the issues with that and sometimes it just slips out so there is an apology there that i am trying to say i'm sorry if i said person with autism versus autistic person or whatever and i'm right there with you because no matter what it's still an individual identity so you know honestly usually i just call them by their first name that's pretty call my patients by their first name yeah like (laughs) stick to that you are who you are yeah you know (laughs) uh but no, I think this is a very interesting article. It, it's... Well, and if we have any listeners and and speech pathologists who you know would identify as uh, as as autistic, autistic. or Aspergers mm-hmm. or uh, and want want to write in, I want to hear from you because I want your input and and yeah. what your experience is too, what you think of this article. <laughs> And to do that, head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, email speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, text message or phone call 614-681-1798. We also have a Discord. The link is down below in the show notes or hashtag SSPod. Coming up after the break, we are excited to debut our first segment with the Informed SLP Dr. Meredith Harold and her crew will be dropping us little bits of knowledge every week in three to four minute audio formats of a research article that we need to know. And Michelle, you sat down with a representative of Adams Camp, a camp dedicated for those with special disabilities, correct? That is right. And it's a camp that has a special place in my heart, having worked um, sessions there in the summers when I lived in Colorado and then including down in Texas. But Adams Camp, you can go to adamscampcolorado.com for more info and you'll get to hear from Kim Kelleher, um, their therapy manager on the interview. Perfect. You're listening to Speech Science. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Speech Science. This is Michelle. Um, Are you one of our listeners who work with pediatric populations or work in the schools? A lot of SLPs, we often wish we could have more cross-disciplinary team working together. Um, And I know I always wondered what it would be like if we could have an intensive week of a cross-disciplinary team as an intervention for our kids, what changes we might see. So if you've ever had those thoughts today, I want to introduce you to Kim Kelleher from Adams Camp in Denver, Colorado. And she is a speech language pathologist, but what is your title at Adams Camp? I'm actually uh, called the therapy manager. The therapy manager. Okay. So first off, Kim, if you can just tell us who you are, what your background uh, as an SLP is. Certainly. Um, I am a speech language pathologist and have been one for four 
40 years. This is Mar now Mark, January marks my 40th year. Congratulations. And, um, thank you, thank you. Um, because there's so many facets of speech, language, and hearing, I, I've done it all. I've done just about everything you can do, and I have worked with just about every um, population, every age group that you can work with. Um, my friends joke, kid me, and say it's because I'm an adrenaline junkie. Um, I'm an, it, the truth of the matter is I'm a nerd. I love to learn, and I love to learn the different aspects of um, our discipline. There is so much that you can do. Um, in addition to being the therapy manager for 10 years, I also was a professor at uh, Metro State University here in Denver. And I think that allowed me to look at all the different parts of speech. Um, and I'd be like, oh, I want to try that now. I want to try this now. Two years ago, three years ago, I ran away um, to Wyoming and worked. He in the ran hospital. away. I like that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. My husband and I ran away and we, and we uh, went up to Wyoming and I worked in the hospital because I always wanted to see what is the medical side of um, speech speech pathology. Most of my career had been um, in the schools, and I had, I had dabbled here and there in the hospital setting, and now I was really interested in swallowing all, all sorts of feeding disorders, so I was like, okay, let, let's do this, and it was good. I'm glad I did it. It really rounded out my knowledge of um, speech, language, and hearing, and I do think as coming back to being the, the therapy manager with Adams Camp, it has added just another layer of my knowledge so that I can guide um, therapists and really recognize the kids that we have up to camp who struggle with um, uh, eating disorders. And, um, you know, I'm talking swallowing, I'm talking transport, I'm talking all of that stuff. I know that we've always looked at, at um, eating disorders with kids as something that the OTs take care of, but in a perfect world, we would partner with them. Um, speech paths and OTs would partner with them. And we look at the mechanics of the swallow and they look at more like the, te the texture, the sensory component of it. So anyway, I, like I said, I've worked preschool through um, transition, kids in their mid twenties. Um, and I've worked with pretty mild to extremely severe and being that adrenaline junkie i find that i really really love severe mm -hmm. and when i say severe i'm talking severe in every every way you can think of severe i love severe behavior i love severe communication disorder i love um you know the kids that can move their eyeballs only and i'm, I'm trying to figure out how can uh, but there is so much language in them and how can we get it out so it's like a puzzle for me and i just uh I love to investigate how we can help kids with severe communication and mild moderate, but mostly severe communication disorders. <laughs> well, it sounds like you, like many SLPs, have worn many hats in many different settings. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, and definitely the, the most severe cases, I always think, make some of the most memorable cases as well uh, for the outcomes you often get. Yeah. Well, I just think that, that, you know, the joy in that is taking a child who, you know, in, in essence, trapped. Um, in their body and giving them a vehicle by which they can communicate because they really do have a lot to say. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Now, um, I'll jump into Adam's camp. So okay. can you give us my what, passion? Yes. <laughs> what is Adam's camp and okay. how did you get connected with Adam's camp? So Adam's camp is, um, we are a, a, an organization that runs week-long intensive um, uh, sessions of uh, multidisciplinary therapy um, for kids with developmental disabilities. And the therapy side of, of uh, 
Adams Camp works with our early population is six months to four years. That's our early start population down here in the Denver metro area, Boulder, Colorado Springs, um, pretty much where we, where we are not requiring families to uh, commute. Once a child turns five, they're eligible to go up to the mountains with their family. It's a family commitment um, and they participate in a week long uh, intensive therapy program up there. Um, so for all our, our all our listeners outside of uh, Colorado, sorry, no. what is, <laughs> what is up, up to the mountains? Up there. Um, yeah, so up in the Winter Park area, which is in the Rocky Mountains. And I always tell my staff, look around, because this is your office for the week. It is breathtakingly beautiful. Um, and so, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice opportunity for parents to go up and have a week. A lot of our parents call it Disneyland for the families with kids with special um, needs um, because we really treat the entire family. We have our intensive therapy for our campers, but we also have um, a sibling program where the, the, the brothers and sisters, the typical brothers and sisters of our campers um, can spend a week just doing their thing. And then we have respite for the parents where they have either planned activities with us or they can just go off and be a couple. We have, you know, a night of babysitting um, so they can go out to dinner. We just, it's, it's really something that's meant to rejuvenate the entire family. And um, that's one of, I know, always been one of my favorite parts, having been a therapist at Adams Camp, was seeing that the families were so involved in it. Because I do know there are programs out there that offer um, either camp settings or kind of intensive therapy, but is that the pretty unique to Adams Camp that you have this respite for the parents and the support with the siblings program? Siblings, yeah. I, I, I always love it when, um, when people go, oh yeah, we run a camp like that. And I always just say, no, you don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are quite unique in that, in that um, aspect. We hire, I mean, you can imagine the volume of staff that we need to hire just to put on one week um, of camp because we, we put a lot of thought into the therapists that we hire for each week, what their skill set is, I look at, my job is I look at the campers that I have that week and I match it with um, the therapists that are skilled in that particular area. Um, and so, you know, for example, in the realm of speech therapy, therapy, if I've got a lot of devices, I really need therapists that, that know um, technology, low tech, mid tech, high tech. Um, I think the sexy thing is always to run to a device, but no, that's not always gonna be for every child. And so those therapists that know what is the, the right system, and if it is high, um, high tech, do you, do you and in fact know it? Um, so that's the therapy side of it. I think we put as much thought into the sibling program as well, because we don't want, we don't want the brothers and sisters to resent their um, sibling because they have to be dragged up to this boring camp. Um, so there's a lot that, you know, we've, we have evaluations that we have families right and the, the siblings are kind of like they, they now consider this their camp as well. And, you know, it, it really resonated me with me years ago, we were running um, a parent night out where we take all of the kids, babysit them for free one night, <clears throat> the family goes out, either the couple goes out as a couple or they go out with their team because there's a lot to the community of, you know, your being on that, that team. And this one dad was dropping his daughter off and he says, my wife and I have not been out together for seven years. They had a seven-year-old daughter in a wheelchair, very, very medically involved. And um, I, I was just like, you know, silly me. I was like, really, why? And he said, look at her. Who are we going to trust to watch our daughter? 
um, and then be able to go out and relax, but she's, you know, getting suctioned and, and getting, you know, G2 fed and everything that she needs. And, and so I think from then on, I just really wanted to make sure that this was a place where everybody was getting something. Um, the child was getting the best therapy we could provide and the family was getting whatever that, that they needed. I had one mom that came and said, gosh, I'm so sorry I haven't been to anything. My son doesn't sleep. And so when I drop him off every day, I just go back to the cabin and I sleep. And I was like, good for you, because that's what this mom needed. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, what, what, again, what makes us unique is we have this intensive therapy. Um, but then we also have, everyone works together. And you can find therapists who work together, you know, probably in their clinic or wherever they try to do it in the schools. But I think what makes us unique is we then, after the child leaves, we all team together. And that, I think right there is what continues to bring people, therapists back year after year, is we really never get that opportunity to analyze, to the degree that we analyze um, the therapy that went on that day. Did this work? How do we need to tweak it? is it such that we actually need to sabotage the child the next day so we can really see this working in the in a real life situation that they might encounter at home um, so we can see every aspect of it and then we create this therapy report and we have um, in the form of a PowerPoint um, and we have a conference at the end of the week where we sit the parents down one-on-one with the team and the parents and you know these are the strategies we used. This is the rationale behind the strategies. This is what we recommend moving forward. And we go that extra mile of um, giving them the actual con- contact, contact information. Sorry. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's New Year's resolution time right now. Everyone's making these resolutions of what they're going to do. When, when what you should do is not right there at your fingertips, chances are that that idea is going to stay in the idea um, phase and never um, come to fruition. And so we will actually research. We had this amazing PT that um, researched from Winter Park, Colorado. She researched the physical therapists that were in this smallish town in Texas read their bios to see what they specialize in and then we put their contact information we picked five that we thought okay this family needs to make the ultimate decision of who they want to go to but these were the five that we would stand behind um i told that story to the week two group of therapists and a speech therapist took it and ran with it um as you all know there's so many areas of speech language and hearing we can't be experts in all areas and so she found this therapist again in an out-of-state one of our out-of-state campers um, and this is one of our out-of-state therapists actually Um, she found a speech therapist who specialized in echolalia which yeah i know i know enough about echolalia to to be decent in therapy but this woman specialized in it so the speech therapist on our team actually called her and interviewed her on the phone thought, yep, this is a credible, credible person, and we put her contact information into the report. And so my point in telling you these stories is we really do go that extra mile um, to give parents. We want this pricey camp, which I'll get to how we help fund with that, mm-hmm. uh, to be, we want them to get, we want this to benefit their child to the best of our ability um, and not just be this, you know, kind of beige 
hey, yeah, think of this, consider that. We, we really try to delve into what the child needs. Mm-hmm. Um, camp is pricey, and we do we re- we never want the price of camp to be a reason a child doesn't go, um, come. So there's a lot of funding options um, for for our campers. In terms of therapists, we have therapists that, that fly in from all around the United States, and they come back year after year after year. We're a nonprofit. Our salary is one time somebody was trying to calculate how much she was making, and I was like, "Oh, honey, don't do that. Don't um, it. <laughs> <laughs> like your charity work for the, for the year." I mean, it's decent. And here's the thing. Um, an OT used to recruit with me and uh, he said, this is the best training I do all year long. Um, you asked how I got involved. I got involved. I've lost track. I'm like 17 years ago, over 18 years ago. Um, I worked on a team and I was, it brought me to my knees. Just the, the, how much rich therapy. I was like, this is why I became a speech therapist. My hands were not tied. I could do what I just really wanted to do. Um, and the results that we saw at the end of the week because of our model, our model is we all work on all the goals. So me as a speech therapist, we're working on the PT goals and the OT goals. Likewise, they were working on mine. And so that child is getting six hours of speech, six hours of PT, behavior therapy, whatever, not just the 40 to 60 minutes that they have their rotation with me. So we see, we see amazing progress and, uh, you know, you work really hard through the week, but it's so satisfying that you, you look back at what you've created and you think, again, this is why I went into speech pathology. So uh, you've kind of painted the picture of a couple pieces of it for us. Um, it's a week-long intensive mm-hmm. and the families are present as well, yes. um, but the the families are not with the kids and the therapist during the treatment day, right? So if you no. can kind of tell me, give me a day in Adams camp, what that looks like and yes. kind of when camp starts and ends. So we have with our younger campers, um, our early start, our pathfinder, um, and, um, our, well, our early start down here is the hours are nine to 12. They, okay. The parents drop their kids off and then they go into another room and we have speakers. We talk about the whole Medicaid journey. We talk about behavior. We talk about sensory. We talk about feeding. You know, whatever. That's our our early start model. Up in the mountains, um, we have um, our, we drop our pathfinders off um, eight thirty to two thirty. The parents drop them off. Um, and pathfinders and is the name of that camp group. That's the yeah, our youngest campers, where okay. they are. It's a it's a very structured, very one on one, individualized, little bit of coach reading that goes on. Um, with that, you know, as a speech path, you've got to, if, you've got, if the goal of the child is to maintain a conversation with a peer, got to have that peer to do it with. And so we might co-treat with the OT or the music therapist or whomever. Um, but we really try, we market that to parents as individualized, individual therapy. And so we keep it that, that way. Like I said, the parents drop them off at 830 um, and they pick them up at 230. That is, we always start our day with a music group. And I always love to tell people, this is no ordinary old McDonald had a farm music group. There is so much thought that is put into um, this group. The PT decides how everyone's going to be attending groups. So we might have a child prone over a bolster with intermittent uh, pressure on their forearms. The child next to them, I'm, I'm actually using an example of an of a, um, early start session run by yours and my friend Juan. 
and um, he's brilliant. And so the child next to I need to um, interview Juan next. He's a he's an uh, occupational therapy assistant in Colorado. Yeah, just so skilled, so yes. incredibly knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. um, but he really taxed his PT to make sure that everybody was sitting in that group correctly. Um, Cube chairs were put out for everybody. He's like, oh no 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 no. And so this is a little girl prone over the um, bolster. Um, this little girl was, you know, very physically involved. The girl next to her really didn't know where she ended and you began. And so she was in a cube chair, very high walled cube chair, so she could see those boundaries and feel those boundaries. The boy next to her, little guy with Down syndrome, and he was straddling a peanut ball. And then the little guy next to him, high functioning autism. Um, pretty good gross motor, but a wonky core. And so they had him on a backward slant seat where he had to sit and work to keep himself upright. And he was so attentive during that music group. The OT might say, hey, I want some proprioception. Let's have a jumping song. Or I want some bilateral hand movement. Let's have a kambasa or a triangle. Um, each therapist says, I want some interaction. Let's have a passing song. So that time I was talking about after therapy with the therapist or LT, that's where that gets decided. So we start with that music group and then they break and they move um, into their individual session. The speech therapist takes their child, the OT takes theirs, PT, music and art therapist take theirs. And then after therapy, they switch. You have your hands on all five kids um, every single day. Um, there is a snack, which it's a working snack, working lunch. Um, speech therapists and OTs love meal time because we've got that captive audience. The PT is going to decide how they're going to be seated and supported on those seats. And then we continue to do therapy with opening containers, asking for more, you know, whatever, or even looking to the person next to you. Hey, what do you have for lunch? That's all facilitated. And then there's one activity, horseback riding, canoeing, wall climbing, swimming, or the um, summer tubing hill. That so we continue kind working of camp, on goals. outdoor adventure activity. Yeah, yeah, we try to make it campy. Speaking of which, our goals are functional. We really try to steer away from those academic goals. So if a parent says to us, I want my child working, I want you to improve my child's handwriting. We'll look at that. Well, what do you need to improve handwriting? You need an improved grasp. So we will improve the grasp in order to manipulate utensils of writing, eating, music, and art. Um, we get a lot of, we, I want you to uh, improve uh, my child. My child says W for R. Well, I, I, as, throughout my 40 years, I have really tried to correct R in five days. That's just not going to happen. Otherwise, I'd be taking my show on the road and making millions. So um, we make sure that we incorporate that in there, but that's not going to be the right goal. So we're going to work on intelligent, overall intelligibility in requesting. You know, so you can see how we're going to take a goal that's very, very specific or possibly even academic, and we're going to make it very functional. What does this child need to function um, in their environment? Um, and so that's the very structured Pathfinder group. The next group up is the Path Blazer group. Same thing, dropped off at 8.30, picked up at 2.30, starts with the music group. Their focus is, you know, we, we just assume kids come out of the womb knowing how to work in a group. Um, but they don't. <laughs> and so they don't even know how to work with That's a partner. social pragmatic language, right? <laughs> exactly. Or even, hey, just noticing that there is somebody next to you. So we start with working with a partner, working in a trio, working in a group of five. Um, and so we do, we, where we have individual 
cubicles. We use therapy mats as cubicles in our Pathfinder group. In this group, there's no walls. There are tables where um, we have maybe two campers over here and three over at the other one. Our goal is to try to get all five of them together. That might not happen for the first two days. So we're gonna do activities. It might be activities like making cookies with one recipe or Play-Doh or something like that. What they have to clean up when they do, I don't give them a vacuum. I'm gonna give them a broom and a dustpan because you have to coordinate that. You have to work together. And so that's the, the whole focus of that group is, is learning to work with another, to interact with another, um, with a peer. Um, and so there's, there might be partner yoga, there might be a scavenger hunt. Again, one map. <laughs> um, so when they run ahead, that's one-on-one. -on -one. The therapist who's with that child says, hey, where's your partner? And so really works on focusing off the adults onto their peers. Um, the next group up from that is a trailblazer group where they, there is no um, therapy site. There's a 15-passenger van. And their focus is uh, socialization slash communication and independence. As we fondly say, coining Carrie O'Brien, um, keeping your poop in a group. Um, you know, <laughs> that's camp talk. So um, independent so, skills. <laughs> independent skills. So making sure, you know, these guys are the ones where mom and dad carry their backpacks for them and they're 12 years old. I'm like, oh no, you know, you can do that yourself. Packing it, unpacking their, um, their backpacks. And so that we just require a little bit more independence out of that um, group. We support that, I should say, in that group. That's five campers, four therapists. Every single team has two volunteers um, where we really try to uh, hire college students going into one of our fields so that we can show them this model is what you should aspire to, this multidisciplinary. Um, and I bet the, well, I'm sure everybody does, but I was thinking with, um, with all those functional daily living skills, the OTs have to love Trailblazer. Oh. Oh my God, they love, the, uh, you know what's funny? They love Trailblazer. The one that they're really drawn to is the one I just talked about, the Path Blazer, where the focus is working with a partner. OTs yeah. are really, really drawn to that one. Um, I, I just have found. Um, but yeah, the, the OTs love, because of the ADLs, they love the, um, the, the Trailblazer. The one they also really love is the next one up is our, is our uh, the Trailblazer has a one night overnight. Um, our next one up is Pioneer. And that's our three night overnight. And that, that is, well, it, the, first of all, eight campers and three therapists or SPED teachers. Um, and so these guys have to be pretty independent. They can't, they, they can't be the one-on-one -on -one type. Um, and these are the ones who are, we are ready to send them up to an adventure camp, which is our six-day sleepaway camp. It's not therapeutic. It is camp. It's just no goal. Just let the kids go up and, you know, participate in the therapy of life, which is just, making it through a week without mom and dad. So there's a whole progression. You could be going to Adam's camp every summer your whole life. We have campers in their mid to late 20s who have been coming since early start. Um, that, and that's really neat. Yeah, it really is. We have campers and staff that come year after year after year. Campers because they're really getting, I think the number one thing I hear from families is it just, boost their self-esteem and their self-confidence tremendously after a week because the therapists help them do it. We don't do it for them. And for therapists, I think the reason they come back year, year after year is we learn so much. 
I just told you that I've been in this field for 40 years. I go up to camps now, even as the manager, and I learn from the very skilled therapists that I hire. I learn something every single time. And I've always said, I am the speech therapist I am today because of Adam's camp, because it made me, you know, it would be so easy for me just to focus on the mouth and the brain. But now I'm looking at that whole child, that gestalt, which I should, I should have looked at, but it was working with, you know, other therapists that gave me the rationale really why I should be. Mm-hmm. And I, I can agree with that too, having worked summers at Adams Camp when I was in Colorado and then Texas, that it was probably the best professional development I could get because, yeah. um, and it prepped me for other jobs that I've had. I've had a wide variety with moving around that it makes me want to find, like seek out opportunities to co-treat. Right. Right. Well, I think the other thing that I tell staff when they're interviewing with me is, okay, give me your jam. What, you know, autism, fine. I'll put you on a team um, with, you know, five kids with autism. What's your stretch? What are you, what if you, what are you a little leery of? What, you know, in our, in our real jobs, we don't necessarily sign on for um, a year of kids with severe cerebral palsy, but you might have this interest. It's a great idea to try it out uh, uh, for a week um, on um, Adams Camp because you've got the support of your team. You know, you think I've been that therapist where I just look at a camper and I'm like, you guys, I'm bamboozled. I do not know what to do with this, th- with this camper. And the reality is you do, you do, it's in you. And it takes that talking it through with your team to pull it out of you. And that's a rush. Like, wow, we just figured out, we were stumped and we figured this out and we try it and we're like, God, we feel like miracle workers sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with Adams Camp, you, you have a team of staff that are full-time with Adams Camp? We have, uh, we have uh, staff down here that works all year long, mm-hmm. um, together um, our, our summer. But also because we have expanded early start, um, it takes that staff's also working on, um, you know, where are we going to go this year? That feeds all of our problems. You know, if we can get them young, um, first of all, we are, you know, we're, we're getting early intervention. Um, but uh, they, they eventually, you know, they're going to grow up, they're going to become therapy campers and eventually adventure campers. And so um, we, try to, we try to get that population, but it takes all year long. Um, rec- you know, setting up and recruiting. I mean, you've known me how long, and I've been trying to get Colorado Springs up and going, and it's finally. Of course, finally. it was after I'm not in Colorado. After years, I know it. I know. <laughs> I'm thrilled, though. I'm very happy that it's oh. there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll lure you back somehow. Hey, Someone. well, I'm, I, we're working on it. If we have anything, <laughs> when I get back to Colorado. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and that's another thing is, um, you know, if you ever want to see what Colorado's like, this is the way to see what Colorado's like is go up to the Rocky Mountains and work because it is. So you have a a small staff that works year round and then um, you hire therapists such as myself for a week at a time. Do some therapists stay all summer? No, because nobody, I, my nickname is the Energizer Bunny and I don't even have that much energy. I've done five weeks and I barely know my name by the end of it. It's an intense week of work. And um, so we tell people, you know, no more than three weeks, try to space them out. But, you know, people coming from out of state want as much um, bang for their buck because they're, they're, they're traveling to come out. Um, and so they'll work maybe two weeks in a row. 
Um, and, and so I would say most therapists probably work two weeks, mm-hmm. either they're local and they'll, they'll divide it up um, throughout the summer um, or they'll, uh, or they're from out of state and they want to just, you know, try two back to back. I did two back to back one year and that was, that was a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. You have to psychologically dig deep um, because you are tired the next week and you have to tell yourself, okay, these families pay just as much as the families from the week before. I've got to give them my all. And so it's, it's, that's why I get very gung-ho therapists like, this sounds so great. I want to work all summer. <laughs> like, you would be in the hospital by the end of the summer <laughs> if you work this intensely. Um, so yeah, I would say that, you know, you, you can work one week. Um, you can work up to three. And some people actually are smart about it. And they, they'll work a few more where they'll, they'll intersperse it with some early starts. Cause that's, you know, I always tell early starts perfect for, um, local therapists who have young kids or maybe a private practice and they're going to push their clients till the end of the day, because you're finished at three or four in the afternoon mm-hmm. and you get sleep in your own bed. We, for up in the winter park, we provide room and board for our therapists to come in. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And so you mentioned, obviously there, there is a cost. Say we want to share Adam's camp with patients we have or therapists who are interested in working a week with you. Um, right. What does, what does that look like for families? And, um, and what are some of the options you mentioned about payment? Okay. So um, a lot of our families, um, in fact, have the CES waiver in, in Colorado, CES waiver through Medicaid um, to help pay for uh, various therapies or respite. And so that will pay a certain portion, depending on what team you're on, that'll pay, that'll pay a certain portion of camp. It doesn't pay for all of it. So we, we always um, tell parents to sign up for or to apply for a scholarship as well. Um, there are scholarship options. Like I said, the, the CES waiver has options. Most families are also involved in what we call community center boards. That's what they're called here in Colorado. Other states might call them something, but it's some agency that helps the families with therapy, ver- financing various therapies. And so there is therapy monies or respite monies through their organization to help pay even if they're not on the CES waiver, maybe they have some therapy dollars that they can that they can use. The other aspect is there's the lodging. Um, so it's not just the cost of camp. Um, families have to get lodging. And so I know that there are families who work with their agencies as well um, to help pay for the for the lodging. And I think maybe that's why parents call this Disneyland for the population um, with uh, special needs because families have told me this is their vacation. So the monies that they set aside, um, you know, for some of them, they can't necessarily go on that vacation where they're completely free to do what they want to do because of their child with special needs. And so families are able to do that. If we have their child um, with developmental disabilities for six hours of the day, they have the option of doing sibling camp or not doing sibling camp. I mean, they can take the rest of their family and go do something or, you know, however they want to do it. Maybe their kids are in sibling camp for part of the day. And so that's, I think, why they view this as, as their vacation um, for the year. And is, oh. is sibling camp an additional cost or is that part of the... It is an additional cost, but it is, I mean, when I, usually when I give the cost of sibling camps, the family say per day, 
and I say no per week. And they're and like, like, oh, great, okay. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you couldn't find a day camp that would that would pay, or a daycare that would pay. And we, t- I mean, our youngest was two weeks old. We take any age in sibling camp. Um, and we divided up our zero to five-year-olds, our six to 11-year-olds, and our 12 and older. And um, what I love also about sibling camp is a lot of the kids who actually went to sibling camp or who have campers are now our sibling volunteers and they really can give that level of dude i know what your life is like i i lived it firsthand none of us can can make that connection with um the siblings but they can um i always tell my my sibling volunteers you know don't tell them yeah yeah when they hear you know i hate my brother don't say yeah you know my brother drives me crazy too i said your brother's not smearing feces on the wall and banging his head um, and I said, so I know you're trying to be helpful and nice and supportive, but you actually don't know what it's like. But when we have siblings of our campers as our sibling staff, um, that's pretty powerful. Very powerful. In yeah. terms of um, therapists and how we can help them, um, we give uh, a stipend for their breakfast and lunch. They're required to get um, go and buy their, their um, breakfast lunch because they stay in a cabin with their team of therapists and volunteers. And so they bring up their, their breakfast and lunch. We reimburse in their paycheck what they, not what they would have spent, but you know, we give them a stipend for that. And then they come to the dining hall every night for dinner. Um, they have the cabin through the last night. So, you know, some people drive home and some people just take advantage and stay, maybe hike the next day and go find that elusive moose up there. <laughs> um, and then for our out of state, um, we give a hundred dollar travel stipend Again, I know it doesn't fully cover airfare or, or gas, but it helps. And um, we just try to, we, try, we, we, we realize that it's seasonal staff and we're, we're pretty much at like a 50% recidivism, um, which is pretty good for seasonal. So, but you know, you've got to have some, some, some sort of um, incentive to come. And one of it is how much you'll learn when you come. I don't care what, how much of a veteran you are, how much you'll learn. Um, and then just to help with the cost. The reality is that we all, you know, we all need to make our rent or our mortgage. And so helping out with that airfare or mileage, we try to do that. Makes a difference. Um, well, anything that I'm missing, because I know that I could talk to you about Adam's camp all day, <laughs> but things that you really would like therapists to know or families that we have listening. Um, so it, what I would like families to know is there really isn't a child that we turn away um, as long as it's the, as it is is a, de- a developmental disability. We are not a camp for kids with emotional disability. We are not a camp for kids with just a learning disability. Learning disability is because that child would look around and think, "I'm why am I here? I'm not like them." Um, you know, our main population being autism, um, Down syndrome, and cerebral palsy, or intellectual disability. Um, and cerebral palsy, um, emotional disturbance because our therapists, I have to be honest with you, are not trained in that area. Our therapists are trained for a developmental disability. Um, and so I know sometimes that crossover with very high functioning autism can look like emotional disability. And we take that into consideration because we do actually have kids with very high functioning autism on the same team rather than mixing them. So we will we tend to put a psychologist on that team. Um, 
So, but really they have to have that diagnosis of autism and not, you know, an emotional uh, disability. Um, so I, I went and saw this girl considering her for camp. She has the most severe behavior I've ever seen. And Michelle, you know me and you know, I, I'm like, bring it, honey. When it comes to behavior, <laughs> she took my breath away in terms of her behavior. Um, I did not turn her away. We are, we are arming this team with, you know, the therapists we're arming this team with. You've worked with them. You would have been on this team if you were. You know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but I think the difference is, is that uh, for the therapist that I've hired for this team, they said, you know, we don't mind severe behavior if every single therapist on the team is skilled in dealing with, with severe behavior. Um, I found that last year I had, a t I had at least a team a week where there was one camper that really torpedoed the team and required two on one and sometimes even three on one. And so what I'm trying to help parents understand is it is not, it's not a regression or shameful if I put, place your child on the behavior team. That means the best of the best is going to come up with strategies to help your child be successful. Um, likewise, with cerebral palsy, I have I have kids who I'm not kidding; they can move their eyeballs only, um, but they're on eye gaze devices, and we carry on complete conversations with them. Um, so there is no such thing as too severe for me. Um, in terms of who we will accept at camp. Um, and we really try in that week, our job is not to evaluate, but to maybe be a second set of eyes. Of, why don't you consider trying this? Oh, this is something you tried five years ago and it didn't work. Let's dust that off and try it again. Um, and just always looking at, at that other angle. That's what I would want families to know um, is we will, we will work with you. Um, we consider ourselves a family. Sometimes I joke we're a dysfunctional family, but what family isn't? Um, but, you know, we're a family, and once, once we're your team, we're your team until you come back and you get another team. For therapists, I would have to say, um, you know, I used to tell my college students, there's not a class we will take on this campus that will teach you more than volunteering for a week with us. I would have to say there's not a training you'll take um, that will teach you more. Um, than working working a week and when just when you thought you really like oh yeah you know you know I know a lot in my field there's always more to know and there's always more about yourself I think Michelle you can probably speak to I think not only do we learn stuff but we learn a lot about our own skill set um, and the fact that we knew more than we thought we may have known um, and I think that's what Adams Camp brings out in everybody um, so two more things. Uh, I'll have you give your contact info and everything at the end, but um, do you have any favorite story that comes to mind that you would be willing to share about, about camp? I think uh, there's government guys like which one. Okay. But yep. I think when I talk about, when I talk about, um, you know, the self-confidence that the, the camp instilled, I had this camper for years was when I was a therapist and not I'm the therapy manager. And I had this guy, he came back year after year and his parents always requested me um, to be on my team. And um, so when it came to the wall climb, to the, to the wall, which, I mean, think about this, you know, hey, let's go wall climbing. And this kid kind of doesn't have a sense of self as it is and stability. Um, you know, the first year, we just got a harness on him. And it was like, wrestling a wildcat getting this this uh, I took three of us to get this this on him with our soothing voice you're okay you're okay just got the harness on him 
assured him we were not going to throw him on the wall. Um, and then he wore it for, you know, 30 seconds and we took it off. And we told him, you went wall climbing this year. The next year, got that harness on. He was still kicking and screaming. Um, and we got him to go over and just touch the wall. And um, so, you know, fast forward, this is how long it took us to get this kid up on the wall. And then we're doing the three, okay, you just have to do three rocks. And we have our hands on his feet going up these rocks. We get to the third rock. What do you want to do? Do you want to go up to a fourth or do you want to get down? I want to get down. We honor that. Um, seven years later, I, um, I, it took me six years to get him. On, no, it took me seven years to get him up the wall climb. And then that next year, we actually got him on the um, zip line. And as he's going down the zip line, I am running the entire distance, sobbing my eyes out because I had been on that journey with this kid. Mm -hmm. um, and how long it took him to get that. And, you know, it didn't have to be me. I could have just written into his notes, this is where we ended on the wall, guys. Keep it going. And the next team would have would have picked that up. And so, you know, that's, that's a lot of times. That's one of my favorite stories. Um, I think another of my favorite stories is just, you know, when you're working with professionals that long, that intensely, you tend to get the giggles. And, um, <laughs> I think just the, the, the nights, just laughing my butt off with, with other therapists and those connections that you make. My, my best friends, I would have to say, are, are therapists that um, I've worked with in, in Adams Camp throughout the years. Counting you as one of them, Michelle. Yeah, thank you. Well, and I'll say too, I still even though I'm out of state and I've been in a couple of states since Colorado, there's still therapists that I even worked with three, four years ago, who, if I have a certain patient come up that I know that's, that's kind of what their specialty is, or they might yeah. have knowledge on something, I still email and text and call them and say, yeah. hey, do you have a recommendation for this? I've got a kid with this diagnosis. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do, you know, and as the therapy manager now, I mean, I, I have, I call them, you know, my, my, my brain trust, and it's the group of, of uh, therapists that I'm thinking I might want to do this. I want to run that idea by him, or I just flat out need, I need advice. And I think that's the other thing is no matter what state we're all in, texting is easy. And we just text each other and say, hey, I've got this kid. I love it because we all start with, hey, I, I got, got this kid. kid. Yep. <laughs> I've got this kid. I wish you could meet them. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, all right, so I'll, I'll wrap up here, but thank you so much for your time. And if any therapists or parents listening would like to touch base with you, what's the best way to contact you? So if you, wanted, if you want just to, you know, call and pick my brain, um, I'm going to give my phone number first and then my email, but my phone is 303-563-8290, and I am extension 18. Um, you know, the easiest way probably is to email me, Kim, K-I-M, Kim at adamscamp.org, all one word, no apostrophe. If you email me, just put your phone number in there and I'll give you a call. Um, but if you know what, if you want to just go ahead and take the plunge and apply for camp, either to attend camp or to work camp, you would go to our website, www.adamscampcolorado.com dot org adamscampcolorado.org and you'll it'll just it'll you know lead you to create a username and a password um, to either attend therapy camp or work therapy camp not adventure camp the other side of the house 
and, and, mind and you, you can be like me and complete the wrong application. Kim <laughs> will call funny. you and tell you yeah. to fill out the other one. <laughs> I know it. And they don't talk to each other. So you unfortunately have to do a whole other one. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, it's, uh, the, oh, and we're creating a new website. So if you look at our website and go, oh, these people, their websites, not real user friendly. We're creating a new one. So stay tuned. Cause that should be, I think it's going to roll out right before camp in the summer. Sounds but, good. Yeah. It's in the works. Well, thank you yeah. so much for your time. And I think, uh, um, many SLPs listening wish that we could have an opportunity to work in that cross disciplinary team. Um, so there are things out there and Adams camp is one of the best. And so I can say that because I've been there, but again, thank you. Thank you for your time, Kim, and well, for your expertise you. too. I really appreciate the time and the exposure and um, it's nice connecting. And for any of you out there, we would love to have you. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Stephanie Munoz from the Informed SLP. Picture yourself with one of your patients telling her to swallow. Maybe you're in the fluoro suite testing oral control, or you're bringing the cup up to her mouth and trying to not get fried. Or maybe you're at bedside wondering if your patient forgot that she's drinking. For whatever reason, there's times when you might find yourself instructing your patient to get that deglutition going. But will your patient swallow differently if she hears swallow when her lungs are mostly empty compared to if they're full? What about if she's breathing in when you cue or breathing out? Basically, does it matter when you give your cue? According to a study by Curtis and Troche, the answer is yes. The timing of a cue may affect a patient's swallow, though the effect on safety is a little indirect. Let's walk through this together. The first thing to know is that exhaling before and after a swallow is considered to be the safest breathing pattern for people with and without dysphagia. Exhale, swallow, exhale. Inhaling after a swallow, on the other hand, is associated with worse swallow safety. If we cue at the wrong time, then our patients are more likely to breathe in after a trial than if we had just kept our mouths shut. And we don't want this because remember, inhaling may put them at risk for worse penetration or aspiration. If you're wondering what all this means for you, here's the takeaway. Try not to cue your patient if you don't really have to. And if you do have to, and your patient's appropriate, Try saying something like this. Hold this liquid in your mouth, breathe normally for a few seconds, then swallow whenever is normal for you. One last thing to note, the participants in this study all had Parkinson's disease, but based on other research out there, these takeaways likely apply more broadly. For more about this research, check out our review on theinformedslp.com or read the article in the journal Dysphagia. See the links in the show notes. The Informed SLP makes it easy for you to stay up to date on all of the clinically relevant speech-language pathology research across the lifespan that comes out every month. Know what works to do what works. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, episode number 103. Michelle, 
That is awesome. And you are sign languaging it. And we learned in the break. I evidently don't know my ASL as well as I used to. I know. Come on. You were giving me a G and I mistakenly mouthed the word E. The, our, our mics and headsets weren't working right before recording. So I was trying to sign to Matt to tell him that I was going to restart the computer and he, he was not getting it. I thought she was saying now and evidently she was saying again. And uh, I feel bad for every ASL teacher I've ever had because I failed that miserably. <laughs> <laughs> However, in all honesty, I use some very basic stop eat, drink, more sign language. And Michelle, you have the background in the School for the Blind and the Deaf, correct? I do, yeah. I worked at the Colorado so, School for the Deaf and the Blind. And I think someone reached out on Facebook that we linked you, you two up with, correct? They had a couple questions about that? Oh, possibly, yeah. Yeah. I, I recently got connected with some other SLPs who've worked at uh, at schools for the deaf or currently work with deaf. So we are a resource or we know resources. So we would love to hear your questions. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, the Instagrams, hashtag SSPod, or online speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, so we started this last week. This is our fourth season that we're going to be doing something. And we figured this would be the new thing that we are looking at something positive Asha is doing. And Asha Connect is in July. And right now they are calling for a, uh, what are they doing? They're going to call for posters. I actually plan to maybe try to go to ASHA Connect this year. It is in Dallas, Texas. Ooh. And yeah, I've never gone to Connect. What's the? I haven't been to that one either. So it's the old, if you remember, there used to be like a schools only ASHA event. And then they made a healthcare only event and then a private practice mm -hmm. healthcare event. That was kind of brief and short-lived, right? Well, so yeah, so now what they've done is they've blended them all together as like a summer, uh, it's called the ASHA Connect. Okay. And it's three days in June or July, um, and it's just more intense, you know, CEU opportunities uh, for your specific area. And when we interviewed Lynn Williams, the, the future SLP president or ASHA president, uh, she kind of gave the lowdown on it and it was basically... If you're a school-based SLP, here's the track of the different classes you take, and you just kind of walk from one room to the next. Awesome. Versus like ASHA's more, the ASHA convention is more everything. This is like, here's a school's track, here's a healthcare track, or here's a private practice track. Okay. Hmm. So I'm planning on going, but I hope you it's can. also July in Texas, so. It's all right. I think you'll be okay. Ah. Uh, so my new favorite segment of this back part of our show is the hot take where one of us gets to stand on a soapbox for about 20 to 30 seconds and really gets to vent, make it more personal. And Michelle, you have it this week. And I'm excited because off air, we are going to either talk about road rage or interstate licensures. And I am going to mute my mic, sip my water. And let you have your moment. Matt, man, this hot take is just uh, kind of kind of wearing on me at the moment, okay? Because as you know, as a military family, and I currently, I would just like you to know, have an inactive license in two states, an active license in three states, and I'm looking at applying to another state. And I am not a teletherapist because those people have a lot of licenses right now too. But um, this interstate compact... A lot of people are working at it, but like I need it yesterday <laughs> and it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. 
So that's really my hot take is um, if you guys have any chance to advocate for your states to get on board with the interstate compact, please do because they need at least 10 states before it can move forward. And I don't have the list right now of the 10 states currently or the states they have yet but to get it going, we need at least 10 states. And the more states that are on it, the more, the easier it's going to be for all the people who live on state borders and would like to serve patients in multiple states, for all the people who have to move because of their family or a job, and all the people who want to do teletherapy. Because you need a license where you sit and where you treat. There's my hot take. <laughs> Let's get this I going. I love it. That's a good hot take. That is a great hot take. And if you agree with Michelle or don't agree with Michelle, please head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Michelle, let's wrap this show up. Tell me what you are doing uh, this next coming week. Lots of evals <laughs> in the work lots world, of lots of evals. But, um, but I don't know. I'm hoping we'll have some snow here. I really, really want some snow. I left Texas a year and a half ago, and I've yet to have a really solid snow <laughs> in the Midwest slash Northern South that I live in, in Northern Kentucky. We are recording this on Thursday, February 6th, so about a week and a half ago before this thing airs, and I am watching the snow come in, and I'm hoping for a snow day tomorrow. Oh, all these places around here are already closed tomorrow because of the flu. Oh, really? So you guys get sick bad. days? No, I, I'm not in a school right now, but um, the, a bunch of schools in the county that I live in have closed because so many staff, teachers, and kids are out right now that they close today and tomorrow, so a Thursday and a Friday, because everyone is sick. <laughs> the flu is that bad. Yeah, that is not good. No, they need to sterilize that whole place. Yeah. No, I'm I, I am trying to stay healthy. That's all I'm doing for the next week. I am. Uh, oh, I got sectionals that start in a week for my high school bowling team. So that's a really about all I'm doing. Awesome. So, yeah. Well, we want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Also, for the price of a cup of coffee each month, as we get more and more audiences, our prices unfortunately go up or not the price, our cost to run this thing goes up. So for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can head over to patreon.com slash speech science podcasts and put a little donation on there that might help us stay on the air for another 500 episodes. That'd be the goal, right, Michelle? That'd be great. I would love to be the first SLP podcast to do a thousand episodes. We got a ways to go, but I believe in us. We, we do. <laughs> So head over to patreon.com slash speech science podcast. You can also give us a phone call because we do want to hear from you. 614-681-1798 or email us speech science podcast at gmail.com. Our opening music tonight is please listen carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music is County Fair Rock. Copyright of John Deku at sound. Find all of his music at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. And the music playing underneath of us is the Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under Creative Commons Attribution License. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, be a willow, don't be an oak. For the absent Simba slash Michael McLeod. For Timon, Michelle Wintering, I'm Pumbaa, Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. See you, Matt. Pumbaa was the fat one, right? Yes. I keep realizing okay. <laughs> that I say the word awesome too often in this podcast. Awesome.
This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.